And we certainly appreciate uh, Alan and uh, look forward to another lesson from him here in momentarily. If you would, let's all pick up a psalm book. Turn to number 203. 203. Soldiers of Christ arise and we'll sing all five verses. Afterwards, uh, we'll have a prayer and then another lesson. So if you would, let's all stand together, please. Soldiers of Christ, arise and put your armor on. Strong in the strength which God supplies. Strong in the strength which God supplies through his beloved Son. Strong in the Lord of hosts and in strength of Jesus trust, who in the strength of Jesus trust is more than conqueror, stand then in his great might, with all his strength endured, but take to arm you for the Him. There was an 82-year-old man <clears throat> who said, I'm going to live until I die, 
and then I'm going to live forever. And that really is what life is about. But the second part of that is definitely true. The first part of it may be true because not everybody lives until they die. I mean, they're physically alive. They're taking in air. But do they really live? Or do they stop living at some point and just exist for some time? Do they continue to grow a little new wood each year? You know, that's what makes an apple tree or fruit tree productive is that it adds a little new growth every year. We've come to the winter of a man's life. Spring, 12 to 25. Summer, 25 to 40. Fall, 40s and 50. But now, 60s and beyond. And this we are entitling, The Lord Has No Retired Soldiers. You and I, we may live to be 60, 70, 80, 90, 100, but whatever length of life God gives us to live, we want to be productive all the way into the end because there's no retirement plan in this world for Christians. The retirement plan is in the world that is to come. So given an opportunity with our health and with our with our circumstances, we want to work until the end. I want to give you five quick points about, or four, four quick points about this stage of life, and then we'll close out. And this is a short session, but we'll close out talking about the four lists of great life, which I think will apply to all of us. But let's, let's do these four quick points first. If you're in this age, 60 plus, these are the four things to make sure that you take care of before your time in this world comes to a close. And let's talk about the first one. Make your calling and election sure. That's 2 Peter 1.10. You want to make sure that you do not leave this world ill-prepared for the judgment day. It would be a shame to live in this world for three score and ten years or four score years and then to go to the judgment day and hear that awful word, depart because you did not take care of something that you were supposed to hear. So what things are we to take care of? One, obey the gospel. Make sure that you have, have had your sins remitted by obeying the gospel of Christ, Acts 2, 38. Number two, be faithful unto death. Unto death, Revelation 2.10 means even if they kill you for your faith, die faithful. Or until death, which is the case probably with all of us, that is, be faithful until you breathe your last here. Don't lose, stumble on the last part of the race. Make sure you go through the finish line. Don't lose your faith in God. Don't somehow become unrighteous in your mind or in your actions before you cross the finish line. Make sure that if there's anything wrong in your life that, that needs to be confessed publicly, that you take care of that for the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. James 5.16 So make your calling and election sure. Number two. <clears throat> Being dead, yet speak. Now, there's going to come a time when you cannot use words. There's going to come a time when you can't write letters. There's going to come a time when you can't send an email or a letter or make a call. But Hebrews 11.4 says of Abel that he being dead yet speaketh. It is possible for each of us to extend our legacy beyond our lives. Now, your legacy will be different and your, the way that you might accomplish that will be different. Some of you perhaps are 
a good at making money. You've had a lucrative job, you've worked hard, you've done well, and you have more money than, you can, than you've needed, and so you've been able to invest that in good works. And maybe even as you think about a legacy beyond your life here, it may be that your children don't really need the money, or they don't need all of the money. And you say, I want to do good when I'm gone. And there are works in the church that you can support through uh, some kind of a foundation or in some other way that will allow your good influence to continue for decades beyond the time that you actually are here. You want to choose wisely. You want to put some things in place to make sure that that organization, that congregation, if it gets off the rails, you're not supporting something that later becomes unsound. But you can do that. You can, at least within a, reason, a reasonable amount of certainty, you can do that. So that's he being dead yet speaketh. It may be that you want to uh, develop some lessons or some audios, uh, something online that you want to leave your children. You know, some, these, these things are important, and I hope that you will listen to this every year on my birthday and make a recording of, you know, I, I, I look forward to meeting you in heaven, and remember, you, you need to keep, keep teaching the children these fundamental truths and talk to them just like you were with them. That they might not do that. Uh, they might not listen. You know, they may tune you out. They might not be at an age where it's, a, it's something that they think is important. I remember having conversations with my dad. Not spiritual so much. It's just, uh, he died in 2010. But just, you know, this family, this, this part of our family, and these folks are related to you, and these things happen. And I was like, eh. Uh, but now I wish I remembered those things, you know. It'd be a lot, it's a lot of interesting things. Sometimes you just when you're young, you just don't realize that. So put it where they can get to it. Later, say, you know, every year on your birthday, I want you to listen to this, or I have one for the next five years. Uh, and you record a CD, record something on your phone that they can keep as a file. It may be some lessons that you write that can be, uh, can be circulated even beyond, you know, because you've written them, because you've given this instruction to an eldership or a preacher or family members. This is how I would like for to continue the work that I've been doing. That's all I'll say about that. Let's move to the next one. The next one is, Ho to the end of the row. That's John 9, 4. Jesus said, I must work while it is day, for the night cometh when no man can work. Now, we might not be able to do all that we have done all the way to the end of our lives. It may be if you're serving as an elder now that there will come a day when you will not be able to physically and mentally continue in that capacity. But I've known many elders who have died serving. And maybe the God will allow you to do that. Maybe if you're a gospel preacher, you might not be able to mount the pulpit the last six months of your life and present God's Word as you have in previous years. But it might be that God gives you the strength to do that. I've heard of at least one preacher who died in a pulpit preaching. And I've often thought, Brother Chester, that wouldn't be a bad way to go, would it? To be able to die doing what we love to do. I'm not sure the congregation would like that as the last memory of us, but, but, but be able to preach the last Sunday that we're here, you know? That would be something nice. But whatever it is that, that you do, do it. Your circumstances may change. Someone else may be doing part of what you did, but do what you can do all the way to the end because you don't retire here, you retire there. And then number last... Pass it on. Mentor someone. You know, in 1 Kings 19, I mentioned earlier about the juniper tree, and Elijah there was uh, discouraged, and God helped him come out of that. And part of what He did for him was to get him Elisha to be his mentee, to be one that he trained. 
And the later Elisha is called the one who poured the water on the hands of Elijah. That is, he, he was just his uh, prophet in training. He went around with him. He helped him with whatever task. But then when Elijah went on, then Elisha took the mantle of Elijah and he continued the prophetic ministry of that man. So what, who's going to do what you do when you can't do it anymore? There are a lot of churches that are hurting because their elders are dying out and there's no one to take their place. And it's not ideal to have a church without elders. You know, it just isn't. It's hard to get anything done. It's hard for the church to be protected from the wolves. It's hard for them to really get a program of work going and continue to go. So bring some deacons along or some members and say, you know, it may be just some of these young men and teenagers and you work on them for many years, you say, you know, one of these days you're going to make a great elder in the church. I can see it in you already. I know you love the Lord. And you plant that seed and, and then cultivate it. Maybe give them a book along, you know, about being uh, serving as an elder. Say, you read this book and keep it in your library. I've got high hopes for you. You know, you're training. And then maybe bring in someone into an elders meeting. Not every elders meeting. There's things that are said in elders meetings that uh, members don't need to know about. But, you know, bring someone in and say, uh, we just wanted you to bring, in and bring you in and you tell us about you know, what it is you're, that we've asked you to do in the church. Maybe you're in charge of benevolence or something. Come in and make a report. And why don't you stay with us, stay the rest of the meeting and you know, just sort of listen in on how an elders meeting works. And, and that's good training. You know, there are things, people don't know what, I meet with our elders um, when I'm in town every, every week. And I sometimes tell them, you know, if the church could see you as, as I see you in here, they wouldn't recognize. You know, they enjoy each other's company. They laugh. They joke. And they, they're serious about serious things. But, but I think it's good for, for younger men to see that. Not only that side of them, that they're human and they enjoy living, but also how they wrestle with difficult challenges that they have to face. Well, well that's just one example. Elder, what about... You, you might not be an elder, but you might be in charge of uh, the mission program, you know, and you, you're the one that's the liaison between the missionaries that you support and, and whenever they have something that they need, they contact you and you work with the elders. And well, who's going to do Who would know how to do that? You might be the treasurer of a congregation. Well, you know, that not everybody needs all that information or the passwords or whatever, but somebody needs it. And somebody needs to know how to make the deposits and how to, what checks need to be written every month and what need to be written every year and so forth. So train somebody to do that. So don't, don't take all that knowledge to the grave with you. I sometimes use an illustration of a, of a lady that was discouraged as a teacher, been teaching for decades, and she just was going to go to the elders and say, could you get somebody else to teach my class? But instead... She decided to take a, a young lady that recently married was in the congregation and ask her to go back. Could you go back and help me with my class? And so she never taught class at all before. She, in the first week, she just was sat in there and watched mostly. And when a little little girl needed to go to the restroom, she took her out and so the teacher could stay and teach. And and then uh, a couple weeks, three weeks in, she said, the teacher said, "Would you uh, teach the last five minutes of class next week? We're going to be studying about Elijah. Could you just tell the story of Elijah?" To, to tell them you know, about, about the juniper tree and we'll study it the following Sunday. But if you'll just tell it, that'll get them interested in it. I don't think I could do that. I've never taught. Just five minutes. And so she, she did, and she did great, and the teacher bragged on her. And then she started teaching part of the class. And then the teacher said, well, my husband and I are going out on a vacation in a month, and uh, you're down to teach that Sunday. Oh, I could teach a whole class. 
you, you've got a month to prepare. You could surely teach. And so I'll try. So she went on vacation, came back out. I go, it went, went good. I really enjoyed it. And then she goes to the elders, but instead of saying, would you get somebody to teach my class? She said, I've got this young sister that I've been training to teach, and she wants to teach a quarter. Would that be okay with you? Now, we all can do that, and we should do that. As we move on in our work, train the workers that are to come behind us. All right, now, that's the first half of our class. We're done with that part. That's the, the winter. But now I'm going to talk about, and this is a summary of what we've done today, the four lists of a great life. I wish I had discovered this when I was a young man, but I discovered it in my late 40s. I didn't come up with it, but boy, it has made a difference in my life in the last five years or so. And I'll give the four, great, four lists of a great life to you, and you will need to create your own. You probably already do some of this. I was doing a good bit of it, but didn't really have the framework for it. Now, here are the four lists. I'll give them to you. Here's a map of where we're going, and then we'll go back and trace them out. First one is core values. Second, long-term priorities and goals. Third, short-term projects. Five daily, uh, four daily habits. Let me talk, tell you just a little bit. We got 12, 13 minutes. Let me just go through those real quick with you. Now, the core values. There are, <clears throat> core, a, a list of your core values. These are the things that you really believe in, that you value, that you stand for. It's important to know that because otherwise, you will go through life being pulled in every different direction and you will squander your opportunity to make a deep impression because it will be too wide. There are hundreds of core values. You could Google that and you'll come up with great, a number of lists. i got ten on my list. Now you could not sit down this afternoon after this seminar or men's day is over and just say, well, I'm going to write down my core values. You can't do it in an afternoon. You've got to pray about it. You've got to think about it. It took me about six weeks to do mine. I did, came up with some of them right off, but then I'd go back and add one. I think, that, that's, that needs to be on my list. Um, I'll give you, at the risk of being too personal, I'll give you uh, some off the top of my head. There are ten on my list. I don't know if I'll remember all ten. But this will just get you started. I couldn't think of another way to really illustrate this. So let's just, just give, it, give you... Well, it's on my list of core values. Number one, excellence. Whatever you do, do it the best you can do it. That, that's for me. That might not be for you. But I, when I do work for God, whether it's writing an article, you know, planning a PTP or a men's day, it may not be as good as the guy that came last year or the guy that's going to come next year, but it's the best I can do. You know, I want it to be the best. Oh, excellence. That's uh, Ecclesiastes 9.10 and Romans 1.14. Number two, creativity. Now, God gives all of us different talents. Some people are visual, and you know, some people are very by, you know, colored by the numbers. Well, creativity is important to me. Writing is really is, is painting with words. You know, so uh, be creative, and I try to emphasize that's something I think I have ability to do, and I ought to do it because it's something I have ability to do. Three, diligence. Work hard, John 9, verse 4. On the second one, you can put Exodus 35 about the... Those that made the tapestries for the tabernacle is a good illustration of a craft or create creativity used for God's glory. Uh, diligence. That's number three. Number four, pleasantness. Now, that's important to me and probably important to you, but you might not be wanting to make your top ten. 
to, uh, to, to be joyful when you're around people. You know, just to be someone that people don't get on the sidewalk and go the other way when they see you coming. They, they, they like, you know, you just have a good, pleasant disposition. That's important. Um, you could put down there uh, Romans chapter 8 or 2 Peter chapter 1. That's enough. I won't go further. That'll show you the kind of things that you may put on, on your list. Number two, Make your list of long-term priorities and goals. You know, how many years do you have left? It's different for everybody in here. You know, all things being equal. I remember coming up to 50. I'm 52. But coming up to 50, that was a big number for me. 30 didn't bother me. 40 didn't bother me much. 50 didn't bother me, but it really made me think. And I spent over a year... My 49th year, I spent thinking about the 50th year. A lot of hours, prayers, a lot of scribbles here, and about what I wanted to do with the last 20 years of my, my work for God. My dad died at 66. He had a brain tumor. I'm, I'm thinking, you know, 70 may be about the limit. Who knows? Maybe I'll get to preach some 80, but I'm counting, I'm hoping to be able to, what I want to do these last 20 years. Priorities, goals. Without goals, we cannot go. Goals are important because they have a way of focusing the mind. If I don't get anything else done, I'm going to do this. That's what writing down a goal will do for you. It's also a tool for character building. I want to be better at this, this, and this. Well, how can I be better? I have to set some goals. I have to put it down on paper. And written goals are the only kind of goals. If it's in your mind, it's a wish. But if you put it on paper, it's a goal. You can't just wish it. You've got to write it. That forces you to decide exactly what words Compose that sentence that becomes your goal. And just in the act of writing it, it becomes more concrete than it could ever be only as a memorized thought. Also, goals are important because they help us move from remorse to change. Now, all of us have made mistakes and we've got things in our past that we wish weren't there. And we can wallow in that or we can actually say, I'm going to do better and here's how I'm going to do better. We write down a goal. All right, goals and priorities. Uh, priorities, of course... <clears throat> Are associated with goals. I'll give you, uh, I'll just throw out how I came, the goals, some goals I came to, and yours will be totally different, and should be, but um, emphasizing in the last part of my work, um, Jacksonville Pulpit. I want every sermon that's preached there that I preach to be sound and be effective, because those, those people are being fed by that pulpit, they, so put a lot of hours, I put a lot of hours into that, a lot of thought, what, what goes in that preaching? Uh, Creative writing. Try to write you know, 30 tracks a year, articles, you know, probably about a dozen what I call premium articles that I spend. Uh, an article for a spiritual sword or for house styles will probably take 40 or 50 hours to research and write. That's a full week. Sometimes it's two weeks to get. But it's, that's an investment. It's not a waste of time. It's an investment because that article will go out initially and then it will be used to something else over time. So that's worth the time to invest it. Three is polish in the pulpit. You know, God's given us this great vehicle, four or 5,000 people, but it's one week out of the year. You know, so the goal is now to transition the benefit of it to go for the other 51 weeks of the year. And we're taking steps to that, several things to that end. Uh, house to house, you know, that's reaching a lot of people, but could we reach more? And how could we reach more? So we got things in place. So you see how you think about what you have as a steward over your, your work for God's different. But God's given you work to do, so figure out, this is my garden, how am I going to till it? 
this is what I, God's going to ask me about, you know. Luke 16.2, thou mayest no longer be steward, give an account on that stewardship. That's going to happen one day. 1 Corinthians 4.2, a man is a steward must be faithful. So we have to be, have to be faithful. So our priorities then, goals and priorities, they work together. Let me talk about the third list. Third list is short-term projects. This is a to-do list. You may have a to-do list. It's a little more expanded than a to-do list, but from what, from what I read, um, people that are really successful in the business world, they know what they're going to do today. They know what they're going to have accomplished by 5 o'clock Friday. And they have a list of goals that they intend to do this month. And what step... It's like this. Uh, when pres Just uh, days after the Civil War ended, and just... Um, just a very few days before Lincoln was assassinated in Ford's Theater in Washington, he asked his fellow countrymen to consider three questions. Where are we? Where are we going? And how do we get there? You know, you, you and I need to ask ourselves those questions. Self-evaluation, 2 Corinthians 13.5. Examine yourselves whether you be in the faith. So, where am I? Spiritually speaking, what's my temperature? Um... From a productivity standpoint, uh, with my talents and my opportunities, uh, am, what, where would the meter read on what I'm actually accomplishing? I mean, nobody else could tell you that, but you could tell yourself pretty close, probably. Where do I want to go? It's goals. By this time next year, I want to, and I have to be specific, you know, SMART goals, S-M-A-R-T, uh, they have to be specific, not, I want to lose weight. That's not specific enough. I want to lose 15 pounds. That's specific. And also, SM, it has to be measurable. When I get on the scale, well, I've lost three pounds on part of the way there. It has to be actionable. You know, it can't just be a thought. Um, one of these days I'm going to get around, I want to win more souls for Jesus. How are you going to do that? I'm going to, I'm going to talk to my friend, X and set up a Bible study at my house for this, before this month ends. That's actionable. S-M-A-R has to be realistic. I'm going to lose 100 pounds. No, probably not. You know? Or I'm going to win. I'm going to win 100 people. And you haven't won one in the last year? You're going to win 100? No. You know, set a realistic goal. S-M-A-R-T. It has to be time, timed. In other words, you have to put a deadline to it. So I'm going to lose 15 pounds before PTP or before the end of the year or, you know, have to put some deadline to it. Short-term projects. Four, that's all I'll say about that. Four is daily habits. You may have your, uh, your Big Ten or your every, every week seven, you know, some number. But daily habits. Um, some things that I do, and these, these would be totally, yours would be totally different, but habits are, are a way to create a tailwind behind you. You know, you can go faster, far, farther, faster if you've got a tailwind blowing you. Well, habit, the, the human mind is a pattern recognition, recognition machine. So you, you ever do something and you, you go back and you think, did I do that? You know, maybe you pick up your keys, you don't even remember getting your keys off the counter, you just always get your keys. 
or you, you know, there's things that we do we don't even think about just because it's like muscle memory for the mind. Habits are that way, and they just make it easier to do more if you're in a good habit. So habits mean to, um, I, I do numbers, I'm a numbers guy, so I do, you know, one good deed a day. I look, I try to look as I go around, you know, Jesus went about doing good, Acts 1.1, 1, 1. so I try to, what, what does God, what door does God open for me to help somebody? Boy, you feel so good when you help somebody. You know, you make you want to do it. So look for a good deed. Two, one call. I don't like the phone much. I've probably said that 14 times already today. But I'm, I'm forcing myself to call people that are important to call. So I'll call somebody that's sick or been in the hospital or whatever and just check on them. That means a lot to a widow if you do that. Um, two prayers. Um, four chapters. Uh, 10 minutes or 10 pages of reading, uh, five cards per day average to send to people, uh, 128 ounces of water, 10,000 steps. You know, it's got some goals in different areas. So daily, just daily goals. So say you set your own, whatever they, whatever they are. Now let me give you, in the last two, three minutes, what Jesus did. I found this very interesting. If you look at Jesus' ministry, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, 89 chapters, four books. Uh, Jesus' ministry lasts about 12,000 days. We, 1,200 days. We have about 50 of those days that are, we specifically know something happened on those 50 days, weighted toward the last week. But when you analyze it, you come up with three things that Jesus emphasized in his life. You could say these were his three core values that resulted in his, his priorities or his goals. One was his relationship with his father. He would deny himself sleep to go out on the mountain and pray all night. Um, I, came, I come to do thy will, of God, O God, Hebrews 10, 7, and 9. That was what he was here for. His relationship with God, he never forgot it. Two was the training of his disciples. And he would, he, he isolated the 12 and then the 11 and then, but especially three, the inner circle. And he would explain things to them nobody else got to know. He would take them out on retreats and do things with them and train them so they'd be ready. So, training disciples. And three was service to humanity. Acts 1 1 went about doing good. And I, I love to read, for instance, Matthew 13. Jesus, you know, Matthew is topical, especially in the first half. So, you have the miracle section beginning in chapter 8. I said 13, but Matthew 8. <clears throat> and you have these people coming to him. And saying, will you come and heal my centurion, my servant, or will you um, heal my leprosy? Follow that phrase, I will, through Jesus' words. I will. You know, he had things to do. He had a to-do list. He was busy. He was on his way somewhere. Somebody asking something, I will. Okay, where are we going? He interrupted his life to help somebody else. That's a good way to live. You know, there's more to life than just having the list. There's also leaving room for opportunities to serve in ways that God may have in mind for us through His providence that we didn't know we had the opportunity to do. Well, that's all the time that we have. So we're going to do a question and answer here in a minute. Um, and um, then we'll be wrapping things up. Spring, summer, winter, fall, the four seasons of a man's life. Do you want me just to take questions or is somebody going to have them? Yeah, I think so. Okay. <laughs>
we're at. Uh, I said just take questions from the floor. So if you have a question, if I don't know the answer to it, we've got a guy right here that knows all the answers. So uh, yes. There's one by uh, Mancini, M-A-N-C-I-N-I. -I. It's a little book. You read it in one setting. Um, just Google his name. It'll come up with time management. I don't remember the name for it. That's the one that I found the most helpful from the ones I read. I've, well, I lost my library in the storm, but I have a whole section. You know, and whenever I'd go somewhere and see and books a million Barnes and Noble, whatever, I'd go to that section usually and thumb through it. And... Uh, most of them are similar, but they all have always got something new out of a book that I, you know, would read on it. So. Anybody else have a question? How many, how many books do you read each year? Um, I don't know. I don't read a lot of books. I do read, you know. I listen to a lot of books, so I've, I'm always... I listen to the Bible as I travel, but I also listen to nonfiction and uh, self-help kind of books. So I'll, I don't know, I'll probably read uh, you know, six, six or ten a year that way. But I will tell you that instead of reading books, what I have started doing lately is uh, online research. And so you do an article. Uh, I, would, I would try to collect 100 to 150 pages, which is a, a book. You know, it would be the equivalent of reading a book, but I'll get it offline and I'll paste it all in a, in a Word document. And I'll go back and I'll read all that. And I'll, as I read a highlight with a highlight feature in Word, I'll go back and take out everything that's not yellow. And so it goes from 150 pages usually to 30 pages. And then I'll work uh, through that 30 pages, pulling out the key ideas and, and the so rearranging text depending on the topic and the points that I'm usually going to eventually preach or use as main points will be in that 30 pages somewhere and I'll reword them and change it and add scriptures you know so including that it's probably uh, probably right so that's probably another 10 books or so you know so maybe 20 or 25 books equivalent of that in a year so You get to leave early if you don't have any more questions. So. <laughs> you talked a lot about development from, say, a real young age, That's a good question. I think that that's probably the most, that's probably the time in life when most people do start the journey. Because there's a majority of people that don't take life seriously until they get, you know, a little older. And sometimes they don't learn the gospel until they get older, you know, so they're at a disadvantage there. Uh, but I would say it is important um, at that stage of life to sort of look to see where your strengths and weaknesses are. Um, you know, I have a, a, do, I have a, do I have a wife? Do I have children? What stage are they? You know, uh, sometimes people wait too long to take that seriously and they can't fix it. You know, they can't go back and re have those years with their kids. So that would need to be a priority at that point. 
I would spend a good bit of time thinking about, you know, what is it that I can do to make a difference in the world while I'm here? You know, and it's going to be different in your community or your church than my community or my congregation. So spend a lot of time praying about it and just, just analyzing the situation. You know, some people just go through... I say it this way sometimes. People, you know, uh, my wife directed plays before you married and, and a little bit since. And a lot of people, it's like they're, they're li- they're, they, live a life, they live their life like it's a dress rehearsal. But you're always on stage. It's always live. You can't go back and relive it. You know, so, so recognize that I don't get a chance to get this year back or this, this day back. So it, it puts a more important, it, it makes life more serious because there's not going to be, you know, I'm not going to get to go back and relive my 40s later when I figured out how to do it. So I have to make the decision, you know, now uh, this, is, this is something I need to go ahead and decide. I don't know if that answered your question, but. Yes, and Christianity is a taught religion, you know. I think it's on the parents first. And, you know, give, give them an allowance and then make them stick to it. That's one way to do it, you know, so that there are consequences. If they spend it all the first, you know, if it's a monthly allowance, they spend it all the first week, it's like, well, you'll get another one next month. That's, I mean, that's life, you know. Well, a lot of our parents are not doing that. Though. Yeah. Yes, right. That's right. I think sometimes the, the church can, can jump in, and, and we ought to. You know, maybe, you know, maybe instead of the typical youth lessons we have when we do youth rallies, maybe uh, a, a Saturday ought to be dedicated to financial planning for young people. You know, they need that. They may not understand it, but we've got to teach them because that's the only way you can learn. Unless you're going to learn the hard way. And you know, we don't want them to have to learn the hard way. So. Uh, you know, that's a tough question, but I think, uh, I think the first thing is prayer, and I'm sure you're doing that, but um, maybe God can bring either a circumstance into their life that will open them up to a, a discussion, or God can bring another person into their life that they would listen to if they won't listen to me. I think you can also do some small things, uh, something as simple as leaving uh, material where they'll see it, you know, get to it. Maybe you're living in a house with somebody like that, with a church bulletin or muscle and shovel or why I'm a member of the Church of Christ or some, or tracks or whatever. You know, put where they'll see it. Maybe in private, maybe in the bathroom, maybe in the bedroom where they, you know, they, you won't know if they ever read it or not. Um, that's, that's another way to, and, and always speak positively about the church whenever you're in their presence. I think that's a mistake some people make. They'll come home complaining about the sermon, you know, the preacher's sermon was too long and the song's service weren't, wasn't good today. And then the next Sunday they invite them to go to church with us like, you know, you sort of shot yourself in the foot there. Always say something positive, you know, and maybe try to get them to come to things that aren't going to be uh, 
You know, maybe a fellowship meal first time. You know, maybe a church is having some kind of a get together and to get to know the people and then coming for the gospel meeting. You know, it doesn't have to be the first time they're there that we tell them the whole gospel. It's a gospel sermon on the Acts chapter 2. Maybe we start by letting them get to know different members of the church. I said, these people are, I actually enjoy being around these people. They're nice and, you know, they're not the weird people I thought they were or the harsh people I thought they were. I don't know if that helps, but uh, those are some general ideas. Yes. No doubt. Directly follow. I mean, do you guys do, you do much research on that? You know, as far as seeing I think the same statistics on that that kind of shows age and, and as far as when people are accountable like for themselves financially. Yeah, uh, my my response will be anecdotal, but um, it seems to me that you know my my dad he had to get up before he went to school and go milk the cows, feed the chickens, you know. I didn't have to do that, but I had my chores, you know. And then I would say my kids probably don't have as many chores as I had. I don't know if that's typical in other families, but I think that you're right. That's the reason. And they don't learn to drive as early. You know, it used to be, you know, when I was, when I turned 16, I was, I was there. Yeah, I got to get my driver's license, you know. Now I'm having to prod my kids to get their driver's license. They don't want to, you know. And that, I, I thought that's strange. When, the, when Rosie got that age, I thought, what's wrong with my kid? And then I got to asking around, and everybody's kids are that way. Nobody, it's like, well, we just, social media, we don't need to, don't want the responsibility. You know, so I don't know that, if that's more of a, maybe it's a little bit of both and the result of it, but also when you don't have, you know, then it limits your responsibilities more because you're not driving, you know, can't, can't be sent to the store, get a job. It's almost like people, you know, Yeah, no doubt. You know, sometimes we uh, don't we don't want kids uh, we, we we want kids to have what we didn't have, but we don't remember that they they're not getting the things that we did have. You know, so just because I didn't have a new car and clothes, or had you know got an orange for Christmas instead of toys, you know, um, but but do they get the same sense of valuing what they possess of family connected? Connectivity, you know, the things that we did have, we might not recognize that we're cheating them out of because they're not getting, because they're trying to give them the things we didn't have, which is possessions. I don't know. Some of these other brothers are older and better able to talk about that. Those those questions than I would be, but I think that's.
You know, you hope that they'll rise to the occasion when it becomes necessary, but you don't know. You know, the, that greatest generation that went to World War II and came back and built America, you know, those were farm boys, and, you know, a lot of, they had a lot of, uh, a lot of them were hard, had worked hard, come up hard, depression, and they went over and they dealt with difficult things. They came back, you know, that, I read a lot of uh, biographies, and um, I've just observed in reading those that the people, uh, I read a lot of successful people biographies, Steve Jobs and Elon Musk and people like that. Not Christians, and they messed up their lives in a lot of ways, but you look back at what made them the outlier of why they were so successful, and almost always there's tragedy or difficulty Elon Musk, for instance, you know, I don't know if you know much about him. He's, he's not a moral person, but, but he has a very difficult relationship with his father. But then you look at what kind of pressure he's been able to bear as a CEO, and I could see a direct correlation between those. You know, difficulty produces stamina, patience, resolve. So at some point, you're going to have to get that. You know, whether you, we bring it in our children's lives or they get it through jobs or through circumstances, at some point they got to get it. So, trying your patience worketh. Trying your faith worketh patience. In, um, earlier when you were talking about saving time and <coughs> overlapping clustering, and the overlapping is mentioning the pairing of a lesson that might split it into two or three parts. How do you um, say if you're preaching the first half of that lesson in the AM service, how do you I go on the assumption that um, our congregation is going to come all four times every Sunday, I mean every week, and then it's on them if they don't come back to the rest of it, you know, I mean, I'm serious, I, I think it helps, it helps the congregation to say, I need to come back tonight because I got to get the rest of that lesson. Now, it just depends really, sometimes I'll have a lesson, like I've got one that I'm working on for when I get back from Virginia in a couple weeks, uh, came across this somewhere. It's a Christian survival kit. It's, a, it's an object lesson sermon. There's a toothpick and a rubber band and sucker and button. Each one represents something. Pick out the good in others. Uh, be flexible, you know, stuff like that. And I, uh, it's like six points. I thought, there's no way I'll get through six in one lesson. So I'm going to do the three in the morning that are more applicable to non-members, you know, that, you know, the Sunday morning only and the, and the non-members who have more visitors. Sunday night, I'll come back and do the three that are more. Uh, so sometimes I'll do, they don't even know it some weeks, you know, so it'll be a standalone lesson. Say it's on grace, and I'll do Titus 2 in the morning, and I'll do Ephesians 2 in the, after, you know, in the evening service. So there's not really a connection. A lot of people wouldn't even know. And other people would say, well, he's preaching about grace again, so they, you know, they would pick up on it. So it just sort of depends, but I don't really worry about that much, you know. And I actually preach a whole month on a subject usually. So I read that 150 pages or whatever, and then there's a lot of material there, and I got it in my head, and then I'll divide first part, second part, you know. So in a month, I'll probably preach probably eight at Jacksonville, probably eight times in, in, in general. So I'll just divide that material up. And uh, nobody's ever come, I've been doing that for 20 years, 20 something years. Nobody's ever said, well, she wouldn't do that, you know, and you can usually tell people. But I do get comments like, uh, 
I really like that we go deeper into subjects. And they'll say, some of the older members will say, you know, I really learned a lot from that because you went, you went deep in that. Well, we'd never done that before. Um, I'm sure that there are some who would say, you know, I'd rather have a different su subject every sermon, but I, they don't tell me. It doesn't get to that, that level. So. Anybody else? I think it's... Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> there's there's several, it's a long answer to that, but uh, let me just give you a few short answers that sort of map. PTP schedule. I was uh, having some chest pains and just really having some difficulty about four years ago. I'm just bumping up on the most that I felt like I could do. So I went to the elders. I said, we need to, we're going to need to bring somebody. Would, would you consider bringing somebody else on staff? And they were very sympathetic, and it took us a while to find somebody. We brought, we brought somebody on to take the Wednesday night class. I don't teach on Wednesday nights anymore. And that, you wouldn't think that's a big deal, but that freed up a whole day every week for me. And, um, and then uh, we, we worked it out where um, I preach. I'm in Jacksonville and preach two Sundays, generally, two Sundays a month. I'm away in a meeting somewhere one Sunday a month, and then the fourth Sunday... I'm there, but I don't preach. We either have a guest speaker or one of the others preach. And fifth Sundays, I usually preach. We have singing on Sunday nights or so in the morning. So that, that gives me... Uh, when I'm on the road, I get a lot done because I usually do lessons. Uh, here, not, because I haven't done these lessons enough. But usually, well, like when I go to Georgia next week, I've already done all those lessons. I won't have to do a lot of preparation. So I will use that to write or, you know, something. But that's the best. I get a lot done on the road, especially if my kids don't go with me. And then I said... Uh, would it be okay if I take the month of December off from the pulpit? And we get, we got a stewardship Sunday every December. And this year we have a gospel meeting. So it's two Sundays. And then my coworkers will preach the other two Sundays. And I use December to do the PTP schedule. I usually start in November, work up to it. Um, so I don't get it done, but that gets a lot of it done. Um, then I work. Uh, <clears throat> one of the time manager principles I didn't mention is work when uh, at odd times. So I work. Uh, I wouldn't recommend this for other people, but it doesn't, it doesn't hurt me. But I work 
holidays, for instance. You know, I get up early on holidays, my kids still sleep. Melissa's gone down to help her mom cook the Thanksgiving lunch or, you know, whatever, and I'm like, I got, I got four hours here, you know. I don't, uh, if I need to take a break, I take a break. If, if mentally I need the relaxation, but if I don't, I'll work, you know. So four hours, you can get a lot done four hours that morning before, you know, kids are all at grandma's and I'm supposed to be there at 11 or whatever. Uh, vacation sometimes. Sometimes I leave my computer at home and I don't work. But if I'm in the mood to do it, uh, I will, you know. I mean, it just, it just goes back to getting paid for what you, you'd do anyway. I mean, I love what I do. So uh, sometimes I work early in the morning, you know. If you can't sleep, get up and work, you know. Don't just lay there and toss and turn. Or, uh, and I think you, you, you involve other people. That's key. You know, you just need a bunch of stuff. You know, I'm sort of the figurehead for some of that stuff, but there, you know, there's a whole bunch of people doing a whole bunch of stuff that I, I didn't even touch, have anything to do with. So you isolate what only you can do. Do that, and what somebody else can do as well or better than you do. Assign it or ask them to do it. Because there's some stuff that um, I, I'm just not good at that needs to be done, and I used to do it, and now we got somebody good at it, you know? And so I don't, and so you analyze all the time what you're doing. I don't do camp anymore. I used to enjoy going to camp. I don't do mission work right now. You know, go somewhere and do mission work. I used to enjoy doing that. So I went through my list of things, and what is there that I can. Could, I love everything I do, but what could I do without? So I just took those things out. So I bought myself a week with camp, a week with a summer trip, you know, mission trip. So, you know, you just, mostly you, you want to get it done. So um, you, you overcommit a little bit. You can't overcommit a lot, but overcommit a little bit because it makes you more efficient. If you got a lot to do, you don't waste any time between. A lot of people get done with one project and they waste, you know, it's like half a day. I read about Louis L'Amour. I used to love reading Louis L'Amour books, you know. And he wrote four pages a day. If he finished a book, he only wrote in the mornings. If he finished a book, he wrote on a typewriter. Finished a book, he pulled out the sheet, put it down, that book's finished. He put a sheet in, he typed the title, and started writing. If he only wrote two pages, he wrote the first two pages of the next book. So there's no break between. Um, I think that's an important principle. You, you don't, you just stay engaged and, you know, the tortoise and the hare thing, you need to stay, stay with it and a little at a time makes a, makes a bigger difference. Yeah, I think we probably take too much downtime in church. Yeah, I don't, I don't watch TV, I don't do Facebook, you know. I mean, I watch a net, usually one episode of a Netflix just to relax me at night. But I don't watch sports, I watch Football games this time of year, one, I watch Alabama games. I don't watch any other games. You know, I read about them the next morning paper. Um, Facebook, I, I got on Facebook for a while, and it was like, this is taking too much of my time. Plus, I was so discouraged by seeing a lot of the posts there from my brothers and sisters, and I'm like, so I just, you know, you send me a Facebook message, I'll get a reminder and go check it, you know. But I, I don't do Facebook. You know, you can waste four hours a day, most people are in front of a screen either TV or computer screen or tablet. Four hours is a lot, you know, so that's too much. You mentioned goals a number of times today. And I'd like to throw one out there for people to think about this. Sure. If you're young, you need to 
your number one priority goal, especially when you have young children and have your own love. I'm long beyond that. Yeah. My children have to come down too. Right. right. That's your number one goal. First off, you can't push them into heaven, so that means you're going to have to go there yourself. Lead them. That's right. You're going to have to encourage and help your wife go there. So that means your goal is not only to get your children to heaven, but to get you and your wife there. If that's your number one goal above all else, most people achieve their number one goal. But that's the most important thing in life. Most people do. If it's making a lot of money, if it's living in a certain part of town, owning a certain kind of car, People do that all the time to make those goals because that's what's important to them. Mm-hmm. So if we make that our most important thing, using our time wisely will come along with that. Uh, a number of these other things will come along with it. And I'm by no means an expert on using my time wisely. But I made that goal when my children were... I already had... That's wonderful. It's valuable mm-hmm. to plan that kind of a goal as early as possible. It's at my age, it's a little late to, to plan your children getting into heaven, but it's not too late to plan you and your family. Mm-hmm. That's right. And influencing your children. Those really have to be the two top goals. They are on mine, and I'm sure they would be on everybody here. You know, your uh, the second list, long-term goals and priorities. Heaven is one, and second is taking my family to heaven, you know. But it can't just be two items on a long list. It's got to mean, it's got to be the top two in the sense that, you know, it's, I'm going to dedicate time, prayer, energy, talk, conversation to this end. You know? energy. And energy. Yeah. Yes. Well, I think our time's probably up, but thank everybody today. I've enjoyed this day. Thank you for letting me be a part of it. And uh, I'll turn it over to Aubrey, I guess.